0: Welcome back to another episode of Leading Collaborative Response. I get to spend today with Curtis Houston just in time before he gets on a flight.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Jen. It's great to be with you here this morning. We actually are heading out for an engagement with a school district in Saskatchewan here over the next day, which is super exciting to begin engaging. I think they have 36 schools that their leadership will be part of an overview session. So super excited to be able to share collaborative response and help connect it to what I understand are some really strong processes and structures that the district already has in place. When the district leaders had first engaged in this work, they went, oh, there's the piece that connects all the things that we've been doing, which was super exciting. So yeah, get a chance to uh, board a plane and head east. I
0: love when people see that connection because I know that's exactly what I felt so many years ago when yeah. it was brought into the district I was working in so that is absolutely fabulous
1: well and it's the reason why over time we moved away from you remember the visual that would show the three foundational components and they were just joined by lines and to make it really intentional like a jigsaw puzzle that these three foundationals they connect to each other it was really critical in the in the visual that we. Articulated that understanding that it, it connects all of it uh, together so that you understand the who are we talking about, what are we doing when it comes to providing support for the who and then how do we do that we need spaces to be able to talk and really consider how, how are we doing that in our classrooms in our school and then eventually within our system.
0: So you talk about the puzzle pieces, and one of those yeah. puzzle pieces is the, the data and evidence component.
1: Absolutely. So you,
0: you and I are self-professed data geeks, so I'm really excited that we get to talk about it today. <laughs> yeah, me too. I know you've run a webinar, and we'll talk about the topic of that webinar shortly, but let's just begin with that big philosophical question. Why do we collect data?
1: Yeah, so I can go back even historically when we were engaging in this work in the school or in my own school before we ever called it collaborative response. Um, again, not if anyone knows the history of this work, knows that it was not something that was built on theoretical principles. It was being lived and it wasn't until we had to describe it to somebody else that we had to put a name to it. But it was fairly early on when we were building these conversations about different students. It It was oftentimes um, the students that were coming up were either the same students over and over again, or sometimes it was a gut reaction of something just happened moments before. In some cases, I came into this conversation and I want to bring it in, even though that may be one moment in time. The other thing that was happening is there was a lot of students that were going unnoticed who had difficulties, had struggles, but either had really good coping mechanisms or were, for lack of a better word, compliant and and a pleasure to have in the classroom. And so they weren't surfacing in the same way. I think when data and evidence comes into this work, it helps uncover students that we may not have been paying attention to before, shows us trends and if we're doing a really good job within our school or within our system, it should be more confirming than surprising. <laughs> if, if that makes any sense that um, we shouldn't be looking at data and going, Oh my goodness, I never knew that we should have been talking about Curtis, but it, it should confirm what we think we're seeing and experiencing within our classrooms. But it really makes the responses targeted and intentional. I had a system leader uh, one time when he was talking with his principals around the data and evidence saying, if we're not taking even a little bit of time to assess and gather data, then we are spending a lot of time shooting in the dark, that we may not be informed in our our next steps, then if we have data in place and have mechanisms to be able to... Um, utilize it effectively, and then use it to inform our next steps. It should make the next steps very intentional and targeted, which in time is going to maximize the most precious resource that we have, and that's time.
0: Time is of the essence. And so I know that you did your webinar around five mistakes leaders make when organizing data. So we're going to set aside the mistakes for a minute. I'm even going to set aside that webinar for a second and say, I know you're making that webinar available as an on-demand webinar in the fall. Yeah. It's very exciting. You want to talk a little yeah. bit about that?
1: Yeah. there We have a number of topics that we're going to make on demand that people can be able to access, um, view that webinar at a point in time when it's of value to them. And again, the, the value of a webinar over a podcast, a podcast is great when you're driving, running, listening, whatever that looks like. But the webinar, you can actually see examples. And that, And we wanted to make it so that it's there at a point of need rather than it's scheduled at one point during the year. And shoot, I missed it. It'd be nice to be able to go back. So, yeah, we're really excited to automate some of those as we move into next year to be ongoing resources for... Um, for leaders to be able to access when they need and however they need it.
0: Well, I know that some of my colleagues that I talked to are really looking forward to that because your time as collaborative response grows becomes a little thinner and a little thinner, but everybody wants to hear from you. So the idea of being Thank able you. to access you and access Lorna on demand is incredibly exciting.
1: Yeah, so- we're uh, we're excited to be able to do that. And again, it's, it's learning that we've been privileged to be able to glean and gather from really exceptional leaders out in in schools and districts so we we just get to be the communication of of messages of great work that is happening for kids all over the place
0: so your webinar that you did was five mistakes leaders make when organizing data which is the title of our podcast today yeah setting aside those mistakes for a second let's talk about the importance of organizing data in general
1: yeah um, I think that if we're not organizing the data effectively, we again are not maximizing that precious resource of time. And I'll use a specific school example. We were in working with uh, school staff teams and trying to draft uh, annual goals for the teams that they were able to focus on that, that um, were placed underneath some core goals that the school had set within their improvement plan. But when it came to then giving data to the teachers to help inform the development of their goals that each team was going to focus on, raw data was just given to the teachers. And it was fascinating to watch them then sift through the data. They had highlighters and started highlighting. They started color coding on their own, which is a a point that we'll be talking about here a little bit today. But there was a lot of time that ended up getting spent to for every person to then organize that data. And again, not that that's not valuable to be able to sift through and look and think critically, but when time is so critical, we want to be able to have a, a way that we're organizing and preparing that data so that we can spend the majority of our time in our conversations around. So what are we going to do so that we can spend it on the response and the the next steps, rather than we're going to have to take the next hour to sort out, organize, make this data make sense. Because when it's just raw, it's just, it's a collection that doesn't do what we know is critical of being able to flag, being able to uncover uh, what it is that, who and what we should be talking about, and then inform our next steps. If it's not organized well we're putting that additional task on to people when when uh again time is is critically important for for us
0: so as someone who spent hours color coding pat and diploma results coming up from
1: alberta absolutely end,
0: <laughs> i appreciate the notion that time is of the essence and, and and let's hope we can help them learn some of the mistakes that leaders make yeah so curtis let's talk what are the five mistakes
1: okay so jen as i lay these down they're uh fairly easy uh, for me to identify because i've made each and every one of them (laughs) as a leader and learned from them and then hopefully it'll be save some people some time so that they don't have to fall into the same potholes that i already (laughs) occupied in a in previous life so if i break down the five First is that there's a lack of clear alignment to priorities. So if we haven't made that clear, there's a mistake. Second mistake is that it's not being compiled for synthesis, and we'll talk about that. Third is that when the criteria, when we don't have criteria in order to color code, color code is color coding is essential. You've already mentioned it here, but not having a criteria to allow that to happen is a mistake. Another one is when that data is then being organized solely by classes or by cohorts specific cohorts of students and why um, whole group is valuable and we'll talk about what we mean when we say whole group because in a school of 1500 we do not want a data set that has 1500 students on it so we'll talk about that a little bit and then the fifth thing is when it's organized solely by a single overall score, by a number or a letter, and that's all the information that's available. So I think we can break down each one of those.
0: Oh, and as you're talking about them, I'm like, yep, done that. Yep. Done, <laughs> done that. that. Yeah. Yep, of course. Done that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let, let let's break it down. So first mistake, lack of clear alignment to priorities yeah so what do you what do you mean by priorities and how are we aligning to them?
1: Yeah, so I think whenever we share data, it's a one more opportunity within our organization to reinforce these are the priorities that we've said are critically important that we are trying to move the needle on that. We're trying to impact and now here's the data that we've collected in relation to that. So if on the data source I haven't clearly articulated, What is the priority that this is aligned to? I think there's a missed opportunity to once again um, create clarity and focus around the priorities that we've set. So, for instance, in my school improvement plan, let's say that I've determined four goals that we are attempting to uh, um, accomplish as a school. What I should be able to do then is to be able to say, all right, for each of those goals, do I have a key measure that we are going to utilize to say, are we getting somewhere? are we making impact? And whether that goal or that priority area is something that we're going to focus on for a year, maybe it's a three-year, maybe it's a 10-year that we're really trying to address for something like, um, maybe we're really trying to engage in work that's going to increase student attendance. Well, I might have to take a long-term look at that to be able to see what happens because something that is that much of a lag measure let's say um you're not going to see immediately from your efforts that that's going to necessarily jump so within the data overview to be able to say this data is informing this priority and making it super 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 clear within this so i've worked with schools where they've said we have literacy achievement is one of our core areas that we're trying to improve numeracy um, achievement and a sense of belonging. Then on the data overview, being able to group by, if those are our three key priority areas, what are we utilizing as a key measure or a screen in relation to literacy? And do we have that data? And then we'll talk about how that organizes numeracy, um, the the sense of belonging data that, that we're utilizing. Um, so being able to make that really clear, And within the webinar that you've referenced, I share numerous different examples of schools that have made that super, super clear that we're looking at this data because it's directly informing a priority that we are trying to really address with intentionality within our schools.
0: So we're going to align data to priority areas.
1: Yeah, and make it super, super clear to those that are looking through and responding to the data, the why. Why are we doing this? It's not just again, it's not just because we have some literacy data. Let's look at it. We have some literacy data because we've said that's a key priority that we are trying to um again move the needle on within our school over time. And, and again, making that really crystal clear. I didn't always do that as an administrator. And Sometimes it was just assumed people understood, um, which was an incorrect notion to work from trying to base things off assumptions. But then also that idea that um, it's a missed opportunity to just, again, reinforce this is this is something we're really trying to impact in our organization.
0: Well, and I love the way that you describe that the clarity of that connection and the moving the needle, because Again, having been in various roles, right? Sometimes the the data collection gets rolled out as a as a it feels as a classroom teacher as a thou shalt, right? Thou shalt collect. Or, or
1: an add-on. Or an I'm so add-on. busy and now I have to do this as well.
0: Right. And so not having that explicit connection, like you've said, is a missed opportunity mm-hmm. in engaging staff in moving the needle and building up those plans
1: as you move forward. Yeah,
0: 100%. Okay, so mistake number one we've addressed. Number two, not organizing data for synthesis.
1: Yeah. And so we, uh, again, this is a lived experience because I had um, different times within work as a leader within a school where we would engage in collecting data from students, And we'd have, let's say each, it generated for each child a three page report that we had, if we were utilizing something that had um, a reporting function with it, and I would take, okay, here's your 25 students, each kid's three page report, here's the binder with it, can you please review before our next team meeting, that was really onerous work to be able to again, Now I have to, as a teacher, go and try and make sense. And again, not that that's not valuable. And most teachers then would be doing that anyway, which which was valuable. But to then compile it for synthesis onto one page to say, all right, here's all the students. Here's the key scores that we saw. Maybe what are some key issues? Maybe break it down just a little bit, but that it's synthesized into one space. We have a vignette in uh, our book collaborative response where we share two scenarios where in one person's mailbox it's a stack of here's all the the data from our last screening measure with a post-it note on top that says please review prior to our next meeting again that was not a hard section to write because it came direct from experience where you could see teachers overwhelmed with that where the second scenario is Here's that same set of results, but on top, here's one pager that gives the overall synthesis that includes things that I'll talk about around color coding, organized from highest to lowest, um, all of those types of of uh, elements that go into that synth- synthesis, but that one pager is on top. So then I've got an overall picture that we can share. So in the show notes or in the YouTube description that goes along with this, I can share a data overview template that we've seen many schools adjust and customize for themselves, but to get it into a page or or maybe just a, a two-pager, something that synthesizes, which then makes it super easy to be able to start developing our response. When I see teachers come into team meetings carrying binders, that's usually an indication that we have missed an opportunity to synthesize. And again, not that those binders aren't valuable, they absolutely are, but I need a mechanism within the conversation to be able to say, Jen, who's a student that you've brought who is this color based on our data and what are you seeing as a key issue? And I don't have to have you flipping through pages or binders. And again, as a leader, that that synthesis allows me to be able to really start to target in on individuals and cohorts that we need to be addressing
0: okay so before i move you into the mistake around criteria for color coding Mm -hmm. i want to come back to a question that i've often heard with that notion of compiling for synthesis who's doing it
1: yeah so i think there's a few different ways that i've seen this done personally Um, And again, I know that this changes, whether you have a staff or a school of 50 students or 1,500, Um, you'd have to look at it differently. Within my own scenario, in a school of about 350 at the time, I did it. As an administrator, it took time. It would probably take me anywhere from one to three hours, depending on how, how good the synthesis mechanism had been developed or what that looked like. Uh, but the reason I like doing it is, A, it modeled that I'm taking responsibility for this and I'm here to help uh, with it. And that when you come in, it's ready. But probably more importantly is it gave me, as a leader, a great snapshot of what was happening in the school. Um, I liked being able to. And again, you referenced Data Geek. That's, that was, it was a great way for me to be able to understand in depth what was going on in the school, but then also have some of those opportunities for celebration as we saw um, data increasing and students growing, I I loved being able to see that. So I took that one on myself. I've seen other schools where um, that gets tasked off to an admin assistant role, which again, valuable. I worked with one school and actually we did this in certain scenarios, as well, where we would utilize um, EAs. Let's say, for instance, I have an EA who works with a um, complex student, but we have a day where that student's not there. That would be a great day for this person to go and synthesize and, and create our data overviews for us. I've utilized people in that way. I've also then seen schools where they say, all right, we have time set aside on a PD day. Take your data and enter it into this document. um, And it's tasked to teachers, but the times provided to be able to do it. I I struggle a little bit when I hear teachers saying, oh my goodness, I have to go and input data, sometimes in multiple places. And it's really onerous and, and cumbersome as far as the time involvement. So to me, I think there's ways and mechanisms to be able to do it. Again, I've seen department heads that that becomes part of their role and they have time provided to be able to do that. Um, but again, I, I struggle and not that I'm shooting it down as a notion because it's, there's times where it's important, but to be able to say, this is totally on you teachers to be able to synthesize that again, I, as a leader, it it was time well worth it to be able to get the snapshot that that could help inform the everyday decision-making that was happening.
0: So regardless of how it happens in a school, there needs to be intentionality and consideration put behind it to ensure that there is the time to make it happen.
1: Absolutely. And the other thing, too, is it forced me to gain a skill set around the use of Excel documents and Google Sheets that has proved to be very, very valuable in lots of other ways as well.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. So you've compiled for synthesis. We're moving into mistake number three now. We know color coding is important, but the mistake that Critical. typically gets made is that there's no criteria for color coding.
1: Yeah. You talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think this has probably been the biggest aha over time is color code your data. And again, I've had some schools that uh, I often profess just a simple very westernized um traffic light of red yellow green um type of a scenario i had heard i believe it was bill ferritor one time referred to it as christmas tree uh, highlighting um very easy notion but i have seen some schools that say you know it's it it, we've created a scenario where red means bad uh, within our school and so they use different colors to mean different things to me i don't think it matters what the colors are choose the colors that represent best but color coding data visualizes it it brings it to the forefront it pops when you see data that is synthesized and i put two up together that synthesize it's ready to look at one has color and one doesn't the one with color instantly pops out who am i celebrating who am i focusing on is there a group of students that are excelling is there a group of students that are significantly struggling Um, are there particular areas and again within the webinar we share lots of different samples and examples from schools where as soon as you see the colors you know the data speaks to you once it has the colors so if there's one thing that you're going to walk away from this podcast with it's go color code your data now being able to put criteria to what does this particular color mean is really, really important. So it may be that we're utilizing reading screens that produces a letter. And we've said that if the student is between this letter and this letter, they're red. They're between this letter and this letter, they're yellow. Um, between this, they're green. And being able to identify, you know, this color means they're not yet meeting expectations. This one is approaching. They're getting close. This one is meeting. and I often say we also need one for who's succeeding, who are the ones that are um, based on that particular key measure that we're looking at that are performing above our expectations. Let's have a color for them because they deserve a conversation um, or a response as well. And again, I don't think this has to be overly sophisticated. Um, I worked earlier this year with a high school where I said, well, we don't really have screening Tools. what would you suggest? And I went back to, okay, first, let's start with what's your priority. And they had said, well, we're student graduation. We want to see students graduating. Okay. Well, to graduate, they have to be passing their courses. You have report card marks. Let's start there. Let's just start with your simple reporting. And what we said is if a student is between, and they were using a hundred point scale as their percentage um, criteria. So we said if they're between 0 and 40, they're red. If they're between 40 to 60, so right on that cusp, they're yellow. 60 to 80, I think it was, was green. 80 or above was blue. And then it helped to be able to say, when you come to a collaborative team meeting, identify the yellows. The ones who are close, that's the conversation we're going to have in this particular instance. But if we didn't have criteria, it would be really hard to know what that color, what those colors mean. And again, I don't think it has to be overly sophisticated. Just set criteria so that everyone understands. I have had some schools that have said when we set criteria, every one of our kids were red. Um, We're in a very, very difficult school and lots and lots and lots of students struggling. Then I would say I'd adjust your criteria so that (laughs) i had one school even said we have dark red and we have light red the ones who are really significantly below where we want them to be and those that are below but they're a little bit better because or doing a little bit better because then we can in our conversations um, we're already having conversations in our school around our complex students or our other structures in our collaborative team meetings let's get the ones who are getting closer to our expectations because they're the ones we're probably going to be able to impact the most from that particular organization. But if we haven't set the criteria, if we haven't color coded, we're in trouble. I saw one school who said we're trying to really move the needle on students feeling a sense of belonging and relationships. And so they had a simple survey where students would identify, um, who on staff they felt they had a relationship with because they were going off the premise that students who have multiple connections to different staff members are probably going to feel a greater sense of belonging than those that have zero or very few. And then they still color coded that data of, you know, if a student has two or less identified connections within the school, let's color code them red. The ones between this, let's yellow. And again, that criteria becomes super, super, super important because without it you can't color code without color coding it's it's difficult to make the data speak to you visually
0: yeah. you talked about the school that had the you know the red and the light red i i've worked with a school where they were they were all greens and blues everything was fantastic right everybody was doing well well again then shifting that criteria for okay which kids are on the cusp of just yeah. missing that standard of excellence, and what yeah, can we exactly. do to to support them so that they can achieve at that next level, right?
1: hundred percent. yeah. And when you do that again, that color coding, it then prompts the conversation of, okay, they're this color. What can we do to move them to the next?
0: Yeah, exactly. So okay, the importance of color coding mistake number four organizing the data solely by class. So, My math class has its own spreadsheet, and that is color-coded. And Joe's math class over there has his spreadsheet, and they're all color-coded. And Jane's over here has this spreadsheet, and they're all color-coded.
1: Yeah. So, um, again, live this. And I think it's hugely valuable that you have that to inform your own classroom practice. But when we come together as teams, if it stays remained... Organized solely by class, we are reinforcing the idea that those are your kids, these are James's kids, and these are somebody else's kids. Um, It's not reinforcing the this cohort are ours. Um, Even if you're right, you have these 25 students that are assigned to your particular class, but when we come together as a team, we want to be able to reinforce the idea that even though those are students in your class, you're not solely the one solely responsible for their success or solely um, responsible if they're not having success. Together we own it, we're, we're together as a team. So it reinforces when we can put all of them together that they're our students. The other thing that it then starts to do is twofold. First, it be, it allows us to be able to allocate resources where they're needed you may, by virtue of the class that has been put in front of you in that particular scenario, Jen, um, there may be some things that you're able to do very successfully, but in another classroom, they're going to need some support. We're going to, instead of every classroom gets the exact same supports, we might delineate that actually, based on our data, we're going to maximize some support over this. These students are going to get some more interventions or support, or we've got a little bit of... of uh, learning support time let's direct it into this direction because our data says that's where it needs to go so it helps to reinforce that equitable um allocation of support and resources to where it needs to go rather than saying or even reinforcing well how come he gets that support and i don't well because the data says they need that support the other thing that it does too is over time and as people get comfortable utilizing data and what it's telling us And then even more importantly, begin to build that trust. When I see my students not having the same growth or success that you're having, first off, my first reaction might be, well, there's something wrong with the assessment, or you just have better kids than I have, or um, all the deflections. In time, I want to be able to internalize to say, Jen, what are you doing that's leading to that success? It opens the curiosity and the engagement again it doesn't happen right away which is why we have to get comfortable utilizing data color coding and and sharing but i've seen this over and over and over again where people can start to say why are you getting the results you're getting as opposed to myself what could i learn from you that could help uh, within this and then again it helps from an administrative lens or a leadership lens to say And are we seeing some students that are having greater success? Why? Why is that happening? What's happening in that classroom? What's happening in their engagement? What's happening at home that we could learn from to then replicate in another place? If we keep it all separately, we don't have an opportunity for that conversation to emerge.
0: I love watching teachers in collaborative team meetings when they start talking about, you know, how they're going to address the issue, right? And Mm. one teacher will say, well, I'm going to do this in my classroom with these two students. But on the data, it shows this student over here in your class is having that same concern. What if they came to my class during that? Yeah, absolutely. Right, so that that collective ownership of they are all our students, the data can bring that out as well. And I love that.
1: Well, and again, if we haven't, brought the data together and we've kept it separate in classrooms again it reinforces the well. you deal with those kids in your room and he deals with those and there's when it comes together it it leverages that conversations and opens up the door to say i'm already working with three kids on this little ex- exercise because the data says it's something that they need you've got one with it as well why don't they come and join me for the first 10 minutes of class because i'm engaging in that and again it just it's maximizing our time and resources um, to be able to impact as many students as possible. It, it it might be hard to leverage that conversation if we didn't have data suggesting it.
0: That third point, that objective point, right? Not from the mm-hmm. gut, but it's objective.
1: <laughs> yeah. and again, it could help us start to surface these conversations. Um, in a way that became a little safer. It allowed me as well as an administrator to be able to say, okay, Jen, we're looking at your data. We're not seeing um, the kids moving as much. Let's talk about why. What's what's happening? How could we respond? And this is not a judgment on you at all. As a teacher, it's just the data has surfaced a conversation that we need to be able to explore. And again, when people get comfortable recognizing and utilizing their data over and over, it's not done from a, a judgment perspective it's done from a okay so what do we do the data says this what's our response
0: and that conversation I just want to make clear is not necessarily one taking place in a collaborative team meeting but it might be something where you've pulled the teacher aside at a separate conversation or part of the collaborative planning time
1: yeah absolutely for sure
0: all right we have one mistake left Curtis and that is the notion that the data has been organized solely by score
1: Mm mm-hmm So I see this fairly often, um, especially when staff are just starting to utilize data and organizing it in some of the ways that I've described, where I get a score off this particular um, screener that we're utilizing, and that's all that goes onto the data overview. The problem with it is a number or a letter doesn't necessarily communicate what's happening behind it. So it's a great place to start to be able to say, all right, based on this screener we should be talking about curtis it's indicating that something's going on with curtis but now i have to dig a little bit to find out so what is happening so i love and again in the webinar um we share multiple examples where yeah there's an overall score that's there but then there's you know here's the different questions how they scored on it that were part of the particular screener or Uh, In that example that I had shared about indicating um, number of staff, I might have, you know, here's some of the responses that were heard within it. We often see schools, too, where, you know, we did this reading assessment, it brought up this particular score, but then on the data overview, we indicate, well, what's the key issue that we experienced or observed when we were administering that particular assessment? So being able to dive a little deeper, and we've seen within our own province of Alberta with uh, some of the provincial screeners that have been utilized at the elementary grades that have been introduced. And when schools aren't necessarily um, used to having that data, where it was single score coming in, and it always prompted the conversation of, okay, but what does that mean? What happens? The other mistake that I've made um, as a a principal is we had that data scored by a single let's use a re- well in our case it was a reading assessment that produced a letter and we said all right let's put all the h's together then into a group to respond and the problem was they all arrived at that overall composite score because different of different reason. reasons yeah there were different lagging skills that were in place that when you got that group together you realized oh my goodness i'm trying to respond because they're all at the same place according that screen but they're all at that place for completely different reasons and i've got the wrong groupings um we often say especially when it comes to intervention um group by skill not by score but you need to be able to when we've organized that data have the little bit of what's underneath So again, we've seen numerous schools where the overall score is here, they've color coded it just like we've said, but then here's the subset of skills that were measured that we've also have included. We've color coded them as well so that we can say, all right, a lot of our students are indicating that this sub skill is a concern. That's something we're going to talk about in our collaborative planning because we're going to do some things that are going to benefit a whole lot of students. Or I have this particular student who's doing really well on the overall score, but here's one sub skill that they're not as performing as well on let's work on that one thing uh, and again it's difficult to do if if i have a data overview that has name score i've color coded i've organized it but that's it because then it it will prompt the next conversation of okay so why why are they why are they a 62% overall average what's going on
0: the so what now what conversation yeah <laughs> Okay, Curtis, so we're going to address the five mistakes because we are going to align our data with our priorities. Mm -hmm. We are going to compile things for synthesis. Yeah. We're going to establish criteria for color coding. We're going to organize it as the cohort, the group around the table, rather than just individual classes. And we're going to make sure that there's a space in there to record the why behind the score
1: yeah absolutely the subset of skills or the key issue that i observed when administering or whatever that looks like you bet
0: so i know your webinar participants got a little bit of a bonus out of you yeah (laughs) do you want to share a little bit with our audience because i think they deserve the bonus too for being loyal listeners and loyal followers
1: this question is brought to you by WeCollab. Designed by educators for educators, this comprehensive digital system aligns with the foundational components of collaborative response. Moving from conversation to action, WeCollab empowers classrooms, schools, and systems to provide the very best response for each and every child by informing action-based decision-making with data and evidence supporting student success. That
0: whole notion of a school scoreboard.
1: Yeah, so this was actually an idea that was leveraged from outside of education, I had been reading a book that had talked about how a grocery store had implemented scoreboards in the back warehouse room, where they would keep score of weekly sales that were happening in different departments and it could help them to identify are there departments that were seeing growth or not seeing growth but it was updated on a weekly basis and just kept it at the forefront kept people talking engaged and I thought that would be a wonderful thing if we could do that from a school perspective as well because a lot of our data was (laughs) in binders in uh, computer drives Uh, it wasn't right front and center so we actually had within our staff room a bulletin board where we could say all right at this point in the year here's the percentage of students that are meeting our benchmark based on this screener that we're going to do three times during the year after the second here's the percentage that were where we wanted them to be and we would break it down by colors and it just created that two things a a sense of once again Ongoing focus on our priorities, that is front and center. These are the things we're working on and what we're seeing. It created urgency. But then even more importantly, it reinforced um, we're getting somewhere when we could see things moving or changing. And again, it's not that we were able to do like that grocery store said of weekly because we didn't have that type of frequency on our data sets. But even for us three times during the year, being able to update and show and being able to say hey last time we were together we had 150 students where we wanted them to be now we're at 175 yay whatever we're doing is having impact congrats um i we saw a very very simple version of this that uh, helped a few schools um build of just taking a simple every grade one classroom has the number line up at the top of the bulletin board or a up at the front above the whiteboards, or we remember the time of the blackboards. I had it posted right up there uh, for my students, where we put that right in the staff room and are able to say, you know, in January of this year, here's the percentage of students that we were seeing meeting expectations. By June, here's the number. By the following January, here's the number. Um, And we had one school where they were tracking over time. And man, was it ever exciting to be able to look up and just see, because of the work that the people in this building have done, look at how much growth we've been able to see over time. And it, it again reinforces that it feels like we're doing good things, but now we're seeing it. And it's front and center. We then also began to do the same thing with behavior data. That we had more frequently, where monthly we could pull in our behavior data and show, and it would start conversations in the staff room when the new data would go up. Uh, some people wasn't as important to them as others, but for others in the building, it was an opportunity to go, Oh my goodness, look at uh, we've seen such growth on some of our recess referrals that are coming, but oh my goodness, this is we're seeing a dip here. What should we do? Like it just kept conversations ongoing. But I think the biggest part of having that visual scoreboard out there was it just reinforced we're doing good things here, everyone, your work is leading to what we're visualizing on this scoreboard. Awesome.
0: You talk about having it in the staff room and the importance of it being visualized for staff, and I can think of one school that we've worked with where they actually put that data out in their hallway.
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So not only was it there for
0: staff, like it's there for the community, it's there for the parents, it's there for the kids.
1: Yeah, and again, we uh, schools do this for playground fundraisers where there's a thermometer up in the very front entrance of here's how much we've raised and we're trying to get to this goal well what if we did the same for the reading priority that we're trying to address or student engagement or graduation rates um if that was out there and visualized and again um there was some data we didn't want out in the hallways because it would show you know at grade one here's what we are experiencing grade two we would show those data sets Uh, within it where we didn't want to necessarily out in the hallway create the competition or conversations around that that we wanted to have in the staff room but to have those overall measures and again we've seen it in different schools man is that reinforcing and as a parent coming into the building to see oh my goodness over the last three years look at the graduation rates that have happened or look at the parent satisfaction Results that um, we're just seeing continuing to climb. I'm so glad my kids in this building.
0: So Curtis, we've been through the five mistakes. We've given our audience a bonus. Before I let you go, I need to put a frequently asked question in front of you. Absolutely. Schools and districts are often asking the question, "What data should we be collecting?"
1: Hundred percent. It's the one I get most frequently. Of okay, so could you suggest? What we could use as a tool or which data, which assessment should we be utilizing? And my first response is, I think that's the wrong first question to ask. I think the first question you should be asking is, what is your priority or priorities that you're trying to impact? Start there. And when a district says, we are trying to increase student engagement, then that should fuel the next question that you just ask is, okay, so what data should we be collecting on student engagement? How would we know if students are engaged? Then that's going to inform, okay, do we go and find a tool that can do that? Do we create our own? And I often say to schools, um, start with what you have. If you don't have anything, start with something simple. It can become more sophisticated over time. Um, when we were engaging in some literacy work for students. We started with just, this is a a reading assessment we're all utilizing anyway. Let's start there. And then in time, we started to gather student um, surveys around, do you enjoy reading? It's one thing if you can read, do you like it? Um, Where we built out simple surveys and then our data set over time became really sophisticated, uh, but we didn't start there. But I think it has to start with What's the priority? And again, I'll go back to that simple example of the high school saying, we're trying to increase graduation rates. Okay, well, let's think of, do you have any data right now that would indicate which students you should be paying attention to? Yeah, you've got report cards, marks. Awesome. There's where you start. Start with that. Now, in time, can we get something that's um, more objective, more systematized, that measures other things? Absolutely. We can add to it, but... Start with your priority, figure out the easiest way to start collecting some data um, and build from there. I think that's the most important. And I've also had the reverse of we're collecting all this data, which one should we be paying attention to? And I think it, again, begs the question of, okay, well, what's your priority? And out of all of that, is there one of them that is the most clear indicator? Let's start there and start organizing that. That doesn't mean over time that we couldn't have five pieces of data that are informing the conversation in relation to this priority area, but grow into it rather than, yeah, I, I, we gather info on this, 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 and now it's really overwhelming to start organizing it all, all at once.
0: I love how your description aligns with classroom planning, right? What do I want the yeah. kids to know and how am I going to know they know it?
1: Yeah, what is and my then priority? When they go, what do I do?
0: Exactly. Right. And so what is my priority and how am I going to know that we're making headway with that priority? And then absolutely. absolutely. The next question is, if we're not, what are we doing about it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's, it is that simple backwards by design understanding of what are we trying to address? How will we know if we're making headway? And then what do we do where sometimes we reverse those within our school to say, all right, we have a school improvement plan. Let's talk about all the things that we should be doing um, rather than, yeah, but do we have a data source that's going to tell us if those things are actually working when we start implementing? And, and again, what's our baseline? Where are we starting at? Maybe we've set a goal that actually, if you look at our data, this wasn't necessarily something that we needed to direct all of our energy or attention at, but when we look at our data, oh my goodness, we're missing something. Here, data sparks the story. D- sorry, data sparks the response.
0: And that whole notion of cyclical, right? That whole yeah. idea of, okay, so we've identified a problem from the data. We've made an action plan. We reassess the data to see yeah. if the action plan has worked. Go back and forth.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and I'm I'm of the mind that as leaders, it's our job to organize. It's our job to organize that data or have a system that we've helped to reinforce or establish of organizing that data um it's i don't think it's fair for us as leaders to be able to say teachers gather all your data organize all your data respond to your data and i'm i'm not involved in in helping to support that that effort
0: if you're responsible for the improvement plan or a advancement plan or whatever name you want to call the plan for the school yeah. you have to know the components. If you're responsible for the child in the classroom, you have to know the components.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And again, I think as leaders, we can take a lead by ensuring that the, the data we're collecting is well-organized to fuel the response.
0: Well, Curtis, I thank you because I know there is a suitcase that needs you to look it over and make sure it's ready to go for your flight. <laughs> so Perfect. thank you for taking the time today to go through this it's it's overwhelming for some if they're not self-professed data geeks like it it's it may be overwhelming but you've identified very clearly some things that can be done to make it manageable to make it meaningful
1: yeah and i often the response of that when either someone expresses they're overwhelmed or they don't and you know they are just by (laughs) reactions and that is pick one thing one priority you're trying to impact in your organization, then what's one way we could gather data that would tell us if we're being successful and then organize that one thing. Like just start in a simple, simple way that can build upon over time rather than, oh my goodness, we have to have a plan that has five priority areas because we're a school of this size and each priority area needs five different ways that we're measuring. Yeah, you're going to overwhelm yourself really quickly.
0: Go slow to go
1: fast.
0: 100%. All right. Well, you take care. Have safe travels.
1: All right. Thanks so much, Jen. All the best. Ensuring success for all students is a moral imperative for all schools, but it takes a highly coordinated framework of structures and processes to maximize the collective capacity of the team.
0: In Collaborative Response, three foundational components that transform how we respond to the needs of learners, we share an organizational mindset that involves fundamental shifts for schools and districts.
1: Numerous school and district examples, as well as access to a large number of resources, are provided within the text and in the accompanying companion website.
0: Join the growing number of schools using collaborative response to ensure high levels of success for students and staff, stemming from the essential belief that every child deserves a team. I'm sure Kutter and I could talk about data for hours because being informed is empowering. And so the mistakes that he went over are the idea of how to maximize the data so that you can be better informed, so that you can be more empowered in responding to students. So some key learnings that came out of our conversation. Number one, reinforcing the priorities. Again, making that connection between the data and its collection and its synthesis and how it is connected to those priorities, those things that we have identified as a need to invest in to try and move the needle on. And so when you can connect, the the data says we need to improve this. So therefore, it's a priority. And because it's a priority, we need to collect the data that shows we're making progress by investing the time and effort and so on into it. I think that is incredibly important so that it does not feel for teachers like one more thing. Maintaining that priority by putting up the scoreboard in the staff room, right? So that it is always at the forefront of this is a priority and we are measuring it and here's the progress that we're making and look at all the good things that are happening for kids. A second thing that Curtis talked about was that notion of maximizing time. So the importance of data being ready at the synthesis level to have those collaborative team meeting conversations rather than everybody bringing their binder and trying to sort through. The notion in that of the pre-meeting organizer of, okay, so the data has been synthesized. Here is where it is. Having those students identified before the meeting that you want to bring forward based on the data as well as the experience in the classroom. The notion of clarity. So color coding the data. Making sure that it's more than just a score by having in those comments or those key skills that that students were struggling with so that we know when we go to maximize the time for intervention, why we're grouping students together and why. And then on that notion of, you know, grouping students together, that creating a sense of community that comes from grouping the data by more than just individual class. Yes, as an individual classroom teacher, I want that data to inform my instruction in my classroom. But when we come together as a group, having that data compiled as our group of students so that we can make the best informed decisions about how we can meet the needs of all our students, I think is very important. The last thing for me, The last key learning for me, and it continues to come up the more that I engage in these conversations with Curtis and Lorna and the rest of the Jigsaw learning team, is truly the desire to share the experiences that we are blessed to be a part of, fortunate to be able to go out and work in schools and engage in conversations, the opportunities that we have to gather samples from schools in various contexts on how they have implemented certain things. We're lucky in the roles that we have. And so we want to make sure as Jigsaw Learning that we are giving back. And so I highlight all the time the resource that is our website, jigsawlearning.ca. By all means, please go and check out all the resources that are there. There's more than I could possibly describe. Specific ones pertaining to this topic are linked in the description for both our podcast and our YouTube audience. And so you'll be able to see that data template overview. You'll be able to see a template for identifying criteria for color coding assessments. So thank you all for being here. And again, keep data at the forefront when connecting to your priorities so that you can see the great work that you're doing. For more on collaborative response, visit jigsawlearning.ca or join the JL Insider to receive access to newly added resources and content. Make sure to follow us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast and the Jigsaw Learning YouTube channel to access past and upcoming episodes. Join us again to continue to build your own capacity and leading collaborative response in your context.